Welcome back, everybody, to the Kid Casper Podcast. I'm your gracious, beautiful, blessed, beloved, and black host, the kid that they call Casper. The K-I-D in Kid Casper stands for that king of development. I'm that menace with the melanin. Reject me as I am as long as he is still relevant. So as I was saying before, yes, we are still in season three of the pod. You know what I'm saying? Um, I needed to take some much-needed time um, to devote my energy I'm sure we'll get into it as this um, this season progresses. I'm sure that I will catch you guys up. And I'm sure that I can do my best as far as filling you guys in um, as far as what's been going on in my life. But for those that do not know me, hello. I am the kid that they call Casper. I am a Christian raptivist. Yes, rapper slash activist. I really love Jesus, but I'm really, really far from a pacifist. Like, I, I don't know what it is. You know, statistics say one in three people got me jacked up. So, you know, play play with your life if you want to. We don't really, I don't major in that ministry. Also, everybody was wondering if I fixed the curtains. We did not fix the curtains. Um, we just relocated them to a different room um, in, in the unit because I didn't like where they were necessarily and neither did my partner and that's fine um but it's still light outside in um you know what i'm saying in charm city so i put up a black blanket why because i don't want that awkward light to just be peeling up behind me um you know kind of throwing off the aesthetic of it all um plus i got these lights i don't know what the purpose what the lights was um, I'm kind of experimenting. I just know I gotta clean this this ish up um, <laughs> before comrade get home. Or you know what I'm saying? You know, we're supposed to be preserving black life, not putting it in danger. So I I need to make sure I do my due diligence and clean my mess up. So, and I think my guest is still playing with the kids. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure. He had to, um, my guest had to go and um, attend to. Um, his first ministry, which is his family. So, um, you know, before they get up on here, and hopefully they are still with us. Oh, okay. So I, I they they just hop they just hop back on screen through the monitors. It's always weird when like you can't see them, and you just kind of like, how do I like passively but like directly let them know like, hey, you're supposed to be on screen in a second. So let's just <laughs> okay. There's a smile in the background, so we're good. So my guest this evening. Um, first off, I'd like to just start off by saying you know this is a father you know what i'm saying this is a husband this is a pastor this is an author um this is somebody who i've been following closely i would say through the interwebs you know what i'm saying through the archives not since the aol days I, I i feel like we like the same age to some degree so i don't know if it's the aol days um we was talking backstage um you know this man I, I love what this man's about. You know what I'm saying? He's got the love of the love of Christ in his heart. Um, I I just wish he found better things to um I guess polish his 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 temple. Cause for some odd reason, we use a do dove out here, and that's not it. Um <laughs> oh, I got you, brother. I can send you that won't be an issue. And maybe I should not read my notes out loud, but I do things unorthodox out here because I mean, why not? Why can't we do anything unorthodox while we're live? But I got you, dog. I can send you the links. And I also sent it to your homeboy, too, um, that hit me up. So he should have the links, and he can forward this to anybody as well. But anyway, my guest this evening is the 
magnificent the you know what i'm saying the magnificent I, you know i'm working on like i'm working on my um i'm working on my my description words the magnificent the mighty um the melanated you know what i'm saying never intimidated um the amazing uh brother robert h marshall how you doing today king how how is it going on your side of the earth yo what's good fam how are you i'm good i'm good out here in these streets how are you um i'm doing all right man um i mean it was the funny part and we all we both went through this a little bit we were doing sound check um we could get into that a little later but i'm doing all right we made it here that's the important part um it's monday but you know what monday ain't gonna stop us you heard me so this, we're, this we're doing all good right now it is a good monday Absolutely. it is a good Monday, man i'm excited Absolutely. to be on your show man i'm honored let's go i here. i appreciate yeah. i appreciate it man i appreciate it first off first off i want to you know i said this to you backstage but i will say it to you again um thank you for accepting my invitation um you know and as i told you backstage before we even got started um i was definitely like in my funk in my my my, my blues and i was like i don't know if i if i'm one the one to have this conversation and i don't know if i'm important enough to have this conversation because you're kind of a big deal to me you're kind of a big deal so i felt like i maybe i was inadequate to be able to share this space with you but then oh. again uh it's like mm, 12 people had to share jesus and you have to share jesus with me so who am i to say that you can't share space with me and vice versa so here we are today Man. um absolutely all absolutely. those who know me know that i believe that every man's voice every man's opinion every man's experience deserves to be heard and seen the bible says despise not small begins man it's not where you start it's it's, it's the consistency and you're out here man you're doing your building how dare i i'm honored to catch you on this level so that when you got your own tv show or your own radio show and you out here doing your thing I'm like, hey, yo, remember I was on your show? Like, hey, don't forget about me. So I'm excited, bro. Like, let's go. Um, anybody who knows me, I love supporting everybody. I'm a supporter of people who are out here who are doing things, who are thriving. I'm talking about me, but you're a dad, you're a father, you're a father, you're a husband, you got you're an artist, you got all this other stuff going on, and you thought about little old me to be on your show. Man, I'm honored. Let's go. Let's do oh, it, man. Let's oh, let's man. let's hear about it, brother oh man so and first I, off first off before first I'm, off before you gave me a black man too many flowers you know what i'm saying uh this is this is about this is about you but at the same time hey never too much i appreciate it brother so before we go any further for those that do not know you if you can give me and the internet an elevator's pitch to who robert h well, i'm just gonna call you um i'm gonna call you, you brother rob. rob if that's okay i got around. you i got you uh so if, if you can give i got you i got you if you can give me an elevator's pitch to who brother rob is uh lay it on me dog the, right, the screen is like yours this. hello everybody my name is robert marshall and i help boys and men overcome adverse childhood and traumatic life experiences i'm a husband i'm a father um i am a a a uh i am a i can't believe to say i'm a pastor as well um but i'm an advocate for survive male survivors of sexual trauma and i'm excited to be on in this space i have the honor of traveling and speaking um all over the country all over the world about the impacts of sexual trauma um, i do that through workshops through through uh through lectures through um conferences and so yeah and I, i'm excited and i think what 
got me the ticket on his show, which I'm excited, is uh, the recent book that I just released called Echoes, the Stories of Male Survivors Overcoming Sexual Trauma. Um, I'm excited because we got a documentary coming out pretty soon, too. Um, and so we've been working behind the scenes and we've been making it happen. So that's who I am. That's my elevator pitch. Yo, that, that, that's, that's who I am. I'm a man that loves people. Um, I, 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 I adore people. I think people are loved by God. And so I need to love them as God loves them. Um, and so I don't work I don't care about who you are, where you are, um, what you've done. I'm like, yo, let's go. As long as, uh, we have mutual respect for each other, I'm here for it. Let's go. Let, I'm, I'm one that helps people and likes to push people, um, and likes to see, uh, men, especially, um, win from within. Um, that's actually a new book that I just <laughs> released, um, not too long, like a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't have any with me cause they've sold out, but it's called how to win within. And so it's a book, um, that talks about how we, as men, we, as people, um, can abandon our shame, um, abandon our past and propel forward into who we were created to be. So, yep, let's go. I'm a, uh, I'm also, a tra- I would say, you know, a trauma, uh, a trauma, um, uh, a person that likes to see people healed from trauma. I like to say I'm somebody who helps people journey um, to wholeness. Yeah, that's who I am. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so my next, and so I, I got to ask, because usually I like to give people the benefit of the doubt before they come up on here. Have you ever watched any of my um, past interviews by chance at all? I'm, yes, I'm glad no. I'm- I've glanced at some of them. To be honest, I have not totally kind of uh, dove into all of them or dove into them, but I've, I've glanced at them just to see enough. Um, I try to be respectful to kind of see people's vibe and see what they're about. Um, and I, I, one thing that I, one of the reasons why I accepted your invitation is number one is because you're candor. Um, I love the fact that you are open, that you are honest. You're very, you're very real. I'm a very discern. I, I, I would like to say, um, you know, like they say in the old church, you know, you got that discernment, that discernment, right? I like to check people's hearts, people's spirits, like, and, and or their vibes, their energy, whatever adjective you want to use. Um, I like to check that. I like to make sure that I'm in good company, um, you know, on a personal level, but also on a business level too. You know, us who are out here in these streets building and going and growing, we got to be careful who you join up with, who you're connected with. Um, and what I see, I saw a man that has a pure heart, a man that's out here trying to make a change and a difference in the world um, and is trying to stay true to who he is. So I love it. I, I, I love it. OK. All right. My, my reason is because you don't know my super intense question next is going to be. So that's a that, first off, thank you for everything else you just said. But that lets me know you have no idea what I'm going to ask you next. So this is going to be great. This is just a way for me to break the ice a little bit. So my super intense question is, um, if you had to pick a favorite Disney princess, uh, what Disney princess would that be? If I had to, let me see. So I think, can I, do, I, do I only have to pick one? Can I pick multiple? Go ahead. You watch. This is season, this is season three, so you give me three. How about that? Give me three of them things. So number one, Tiana, right? Um, Tiana number one is because um, Tiana is a she is a the one of the first um, African American uh, princesses um, on Disney, and I have you know 
I have a daughter who is African-American. And so I love the fact that Disney uh, came out with a uh, came out with a princess who looks like my princess. And so I was really excited about that, really honored about that. I'm not too fond of the storyline, but I love the idea of having her as a princess. Um, the second uh, princess that I really liked is uh, Moana. Um, I love Moana because of the storyline and I love Bray. Uh, I forgot her name, but um, I love the movie Brave as well. Brave Moana. Um, and I like them because, you know, I'm a young man who grew up around strong women. I love strong women man. I love strong women. I love women who break the narratives, who um, uh, I love women who create their own lanes, who do their own thing. I love powerful women. I grew up around that. And so uh, and I'm attracted to it. Um, and I, I want my daughter to be in her own lane, do her own thing. And um, I want her to be confident and bold and um, and follow her heart. And, you know, as she follows, you know, as I teach and, you know, teach her to, to follow God, that she submits her heart to the Lord and she continues to pursue um, uh, God and pursue life um, on her own terms. So I, I love that. So those are my favorite Disney princesses. I'm actually a Disney connoisseur. So I, there's nothing about Disney that you probably can ask me that I don't know. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, this will allow me to find out how much cooler you are than me by chance. Okay. Uh, so. If and this will also let me know how old you is because black don't crack and you know, I, I for all I know you could be 18 years old. I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean that that's that's a possibility. We don't know. Um, my next question is if you had to pick a starter six Pokemon set to go against the elite four. What starting six would that be? Mm, let me see. Starter six Pokemon set. Uh, I would pick um, Charmander. Uh, what is his name? Charmander. That's the um, little that's the little homie, the one yes, the little I, homie with the fire uh, on his tail. I will pick um I will pick um let me see. Mm, Charmander, I would pick Squirtle, I would pick uh Treco, and I would trick uh I would what what's her name? Pipple Pip Pillop. Piplup? Piplup. Piplup. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I would also uh pick uh what was the I don't know if this one was part of six, but I really like the dragon. I forgot his name. Charizard. Is that was his name? Uh yeah, I mean that's just the big homie to Charmander, but I guess you could you could go and break the mold if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I'm out here. I'm out here, bro. Now you got me. I'm I'm a little stunned, but I'm out here. Um, and I would pick, uh, all, and I don't know, I always like, I remember back in the day, do you remember when, uh, Burger King came out with the gold plated, uh, Pokemon cards? Okay. So now I know, so now I know you at least either late eighties or like early nineties, but continue, I, continue. <laughs> I, I, I remember when they came and there was, oh man, I remember when they came out with the holographic cards too. We used to be on the bus trading those things, but. Um, there was one, there was a psychic one. Um, I forgot, man, I used to be really big into Pokemon secretly. Um, I actually grew up in a very apostolic household. And so everything was demonic. 
<laughs> uh, but I used to trade Pokemon cards with my friends. But I think that's all I have right now. I remember, um, the, I remember the uh, the, but I, I forgot what it is. It's gonna bother me now that we we're out here. Um, yeah, yeah, I think- we 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 live, we live now. So did did he have? Did they have spoons? Did they have? Um- it was the it was the uh it was the one that looked like uh octopus i think it was an octopus but it was like like but it had psychic abilities too it had psychic uh, abilities. I, can't. I can't remember i, I i'm not gonna lie to you um i don't hit my head a couple of times through the years so i can't even tell you off the top of my head um but yeah that also lets me know i'm almost 30 years old so i mean like <laughs> so i i don't know what else to tell you but I'll, I'll accept your six. Yeah, that, that you. was really loud. Good lord, um, that was me. I'm sorry. All goody, um, all goody. <laughs> um, to hit me up, like, hey, are you on that podcast right now? So <laughs> that's oh yeah, bro. I've gotten calls on here, and like, I I wanted to answer and be like, hey, you're calling me while I'm working. You're like, well, are you live? Like, yes, you're on YouTube. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was um, actually him like hey what's the link how do i get on and he didn't respond he didn't answer um and so i was like man he's not responding this is not like him um and so uh then i i hit you up like okay what's the link and normally i'm the he's he'll normally like have it in my like have it to me like and i just click on it and so he just said my phone was dead so he couldn't respond so yeah i'm out here mm. Well, it sounds like we need better accountability partners. We need to just pray for that brother. Uh, nah, he, I know exactly. <laughs> even get on his phone was dead. I get it. Listen, my phone would die at the drop of a dime. You'll be talking to me, and my phone would click. Just, I'm actually very notorious for that. Oh, you, yeah. you're not the only one, but I don't feel like I'm trying to. I'm trying not to get myself in the doghouse, so I'm just gonna be quiet. Um, <laughs> but yes, but yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, brother, um, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on um, and share this space with you, um, not only, you know, my main goal, especially with starting this podcast, you know, I've originally started this to, you know, give, share space with other creatives, content creators, musicians, producers, you name it, um, and allow them to tell their stories. Um, 2020 happened, um, you know, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery happened. And I felt like for me as a disciple of Christ, I had, I had a, I had a, I had a, a, a obligation to lend my ears and my voice to what I saw happening in the world. And it's just opened this space to be able to just not only seek to understand and not be understood, but allow to, you know, I tell people nuance is my niche. Context is my favorite color, you know what I'm saying? And just being able to learn and humanize people opposed to other rise, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like, especially when we're talking about this subject matter, um, and I've talked about this publicly myself um, on my own platform, you know, men that go through what we have been through when we're talking about, um, you know, sexual violence, sexual abuse, um and how it has shaped our you know it pretty much shapes the rest of our lives i don't think people realize the dehumanization that takes place you know obviously when it comes to the abuse but the having to being able to exist but fighting to live after the abuse you know what i'm saying so um 
I, I, I'm going to say it one more time because I feel like this is, if not one of the most important conversations and dialogues I've been able to share in this space, whether privately or publicly, I appreciate, you know, God, you know, ordered this so we could be able to share this space together. So once again, publicly before we dive in, brother, thank you again for accepting my invitation. Uh, pray for me because this might be a little, might get a, it might get a little emotional on here, but that's all right. You know what I'm saying? It's healthy to cry. You know, I, one, I'll, leave, I'll tell you a statistic real quick. Um, black men are the leading people to have pink eye, and that is because we growing up were told not to cry. And the sodium in your tears flushes your eyes out and cleanses your eyes. So if you got to cry, brother, get the Kleenex, um, whatever you need to do. Uh, we, we're going to get into it. And everybody who's also watching this, you know, um, and you don't even, if you haven't even found the, the, the unction, the strength to even, I would say like be vulnerable and share with people. Um, if you've been through something to this nature, I'm just, you know, I just, I just pray that God, you know, just wraps his arms around you during this time, um, and just clings to you and I don't need to know who you are. He knows who you are. And I just pray for healing, freedom, and wholeness um, and to be okay in your in your okay in your brokenness. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So my brother, um, before we, you know, I start asking the super intense questions. If you can go far back, um, uh, before we get to like the nitty-gritty of like the subject matter, if you could tell me about the early stages of a young Robert. Um, in the early stages of your development. Could you do that for me, King, please? Yeah, man. So uh, I grew up on, I grew up in the South. Um, and I'll, I'll start here. I grew up in, I actually was born in Philadelphia. And through some crazy situation, we wound up moving to the South. Um, there in the South, we lived in this little city called Brunswick, Georgia, um, a small town. And you would really think it was a safe space. But for me, it was hell to be honest. Um, it was one of those cities where everybody knew everybody. It was, you know, but there was a lack of opportunity. It was a lack of um, economic access and um, and a lot. And to be honest, now that I'm older, I have the language for it. But before I just thought that um, I was one big hot mess. Um, the reason why I say that is because um, I started getting sexually uh, groomed, introduced, uh, abused, um, when I was as young as four years old, um, it started with a cousin, um, when I remember laying on my top bunk and my little brother was laying on the middle bunk and my cousin was on the floor and my cousin pulled himself out and said, Hey, Robert, come put your mouth on this. Um, that was at four years old. And from four years old up until now, I've had about nine abusers over my life. Um, everything, uh, everything from, um, from rape, molestation, sexual grooming. Um, and I even hate to say this, but some, because this is a really big issue for a lot, you know, for uh, many people around the world, um, even a tablet uh, trafficked, if you will, and within my own community. Um, a lot of the people um, I've had uh, male abusers, I've had female uh, abusers, um, I've had pastors and bishops and, um, and, and, uh, 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 law pe people who worked for the you know people who worked in law enforcement, people who um, were school teachers or administrators, uh, yeah. And so I grew up in an environment where 
at, ve- at a very young age, I was introduced to sex prematurely. And I talk about in the book Echoes, when a male is introduced to sex prematurely, it's like handing a four-year-old a assault rifle or, or a machine gun. And it looks cool. It feels cool. But he does not know the power and the damage that can be done. He doesn't realize how much uh, how much power he's holding in his hands. And and that's what kind of re- that's not kind of that's what really happened to me. Um, I got exposed to sex really early, prematurely, and it really did a work on me. It really did a work on me psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, I grew up very apostolic, too. So at the same time, I was one of those kid preachers. And so while I'm preaching and singing and leading devotion, I'm also being and I grew up apostolic. So being around people who really um, pointed out, you know, the the necessity to live a holy life. um, The same people that I saw preaching these messages were the same people who were sleeping with me after church. Um, And so I grew up in an environment that was very spiritual, sexual and very uh, sensual at the same time. Um, I could pre, you know, I grew up and a lot happens in those backwoods in the country. And so I, you know, grew up traveling up and down the roads. Um, like I said, I started preaching at a young age, started singing at a young age, started playing instruments at a young age in church. So I would travel a lot, even as a young little boy. Um, and I would just be introduced to somebody else who was also interested in having sex. And I, I thought, right, that this was on me. I thought that it was my fault. Um, not until I became an adult. And there's a statistic that talks about that most male survivors of sexual trauma don't even really realize that they are victims until they are at least 25, almost sometimes 25 years after um, after what they experience. Um, this is even more difficult for men who are sexually groomed or sexually abused by women. Um, I have, a, you know, for me, and I don't really talk about this often, um, my wife has started challenging me to talk about it more because I didn't see it at even me now. I did not see that sexual trauma or molestation um, or sexual grooming. Um, at the age of 13, I got in a relationship with a teacher at the time, teacher slash preacher, um, who was 23 when we started dating, dating, right? 13, 23. And uh, we dated for about eight to nine years. Eight to nine years of my life, um, I was with her. And it was super sexual, super spiritual. It was kind of this whole thing. Um, and I can't believe I'm even saying this out loud because I don't think I've ever told this part of my story um, because I felt like um, she was a part, a huge part of who I am today as it relates to um, she was the person that introduced me to Chicago and, you know, really helped me get from high school to college. And um, and I realized it was very textbook for um, in that one experience, it was very textbook for men who are sexually traumatized or taken advantage of or manipulated by women, because those relationships in our community are a little bit more accepted when when the one that's being violated is the male. The reason why, because in our in our communities, we see boys that are initiated into sex prematurely. We see it as a pathway to manhood and we see it as a, a as a star on their belt and nothing that should and something that should be celebrated. Um, but if it was a woman, um, if it was a little girl who was being touched or being, you know, sexed by a man, um, you know, the police would be called everything. Um, and we were basically dating in broad daylight. Right. It wasn't really a secret. 
Um, and that fathoms me, you know, it fathoms me now. Third, I was 13. She was 23 when it started. And I remember when I turned 18 um, and I was about to go off to college, she gave me an ultimatum. And the ultimatum was, hey, you need to marry me. Um, and I remember saying to her, like, no, I can't I can't marry you. The Lord said, no, um, not right now. And I loved her. Right. Because I'd spent 13 to 23, you know, 13. I was 13 when we started um, being intimate with one another. Um, and and when I got to college um, and I moved to Chicago, um, I realized that part of her like part of the relationship a major part was um being sexual being in an intimate sexual relationship with her was a form of power that she was able to manipulate me as a kid as a young teenager you know if there's something that she wanted or something that she wanted to do or um or something that she wanted me to do you know kind of sex was a, a leeway into that um and so that started at age of third that started at the age of 13 um, by that, you know, that time, that's not in the Echoes book, but also, you know, being sexually violated by, you know, initiated into sex prematurely by my barber, right? One of my friends uh, at that time, I was seven years old. We just moved to Georgia. Um, his brother had just gotten out of prison. And all I knew at that time, he was having a celebration, like a coming home party. At seven years old, I didn't know what a coming home party was. I just thought somebody was coming. They, they barbecued, had games, fun. It was cool. Um, and he was, a, you know, he was my, you know, our friends of the family's, you know, son. So he was, you know, we were safe. We didn't know the details. Um, and he became my barber. And one day he was cutting my hair. And while I was cutting my hair, he happened to be watching porn. Um, and so he was watching porn. I looked at him at seven, eight years old. Like, why is he peeing on her? Why is he peeing on her? And he said, boy, that's not pee. That's and I don't know how, you know, honest I can be on here. But, um, you know, he he explained to me what it was. He said, you know, that's that's an orgasm. That's, you know, whatever he but he used a very vulgar word. And I called him a country thug because to give you kind of what he looked like, he had locks, gold teeth, you know, just pretty, like that whole kind of country vibe. Um, and he um, and was from the streets. And so we um, I remember being in there and he said, yo, um, that's not P. And he said, you can do that, too. Let me show you. I remember being laid down on the bed, pulled my pants down and started going for it. But I was seven years old at the time. Wasn't much happening down there. Um, and so he uh, then he said, OK, well, maybe yours haven't come in. And, and I'm sorry, guys. Uh, he said, maybe yours hasn't come in. And so from there, he pulled himself down. and He said, now do to me what I did to you. Um, and from boom, one thing led to another. And um, I talk about the rest of the story in the book. I remember what that was like and what that felt like. and um, it was very, it was, it was an introduction to a world that I was not prepared for. Um, and so that, you know, I have stories for days. Like I said, I have nine abusers over my lifetime. Um, and I have one that started in fifth grade that lasted doggone until I was 19, 20 years old, um, fifth grade to 19, 20 years old. And so in the book, I do talk about, um, I do talk about him and, um, yeah, that was the longest and that was sexual being sexually groomed. So there's actually when we talk about sexual trauma, there's different types of sexual tra traumatic experience. You have rape, you got molestation, you got statutory rape, you have grooming, you have um, um, and also you got domestic, you know, the domestic violence part. Um, and people are, you know, a lot of these people 
um, are not untrusted people. These are people I was sexually assaulted or groomed by people who were respected in the moon in the community, who were pastors, who were leaders, who were uh, school officials, who were, you know, law officials. Like these are people that you thought would be safe to be around with. I say in the book that we often teach our kids not to go to the man that got the candy, but you know, in the park randomly, but we don't, we don't look at babysitters. We don't look at uncles. We don't look at nieces. We don't look at, uh, at, at sometimes parents. And, um, statistically most people and especially men who have experienced some form of sexual trauma um it's normally somebody that's trusted within the house or within the family um and so uh, and it's incest sometimes it's incest and so that adds another layer to this thing um because and uh, and oftentimes you know if we talked about the especially during the 70s 80s you know the 90s and the 2000s we had that huge fatherless epidemic um, where there was no father in the home, right? Then it was it was open range for boys. And so um, statistics, I've heard new statistics now that um, boys that are molested, that prob- more than likely boys, there's probably more boys that were molested or sexually violated by women than there potentially would be girls. But the thing is, um, the statistic is for men, it's one in six um, before the age of 16 and it's one in four afterwards. And the key word that I always brings up is those who were those are just the ones that were reported. Now, question for everybody in urban communities, our relationship with the police and with the law enforcement has never been good. And so when we talk about uh, reporting um, this stuff, typically more than likely does not get reported because of the environment of one not feeling safe calling police to our house because that's something we just don't do. Um, and then two, right, who, right, because of the social kind of understanding of what it means for a boy to be sexually initiated prematurely, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's something he should be celebrating, you know, celebrating. He talks to his parents, mm, talks to his peers, why are you complaining, right? Um, and number three, also, you know, um, we don't report. We don't report. And it's very, and even for those who do report, it is very difficult for somebody to get convicted. And so what happens is, um, we hold this stuff. And so, you know, I know these statistics are one in six and one in three, uh, you know, one in four, but bro, I really believe it's like, you know, I believe it's, you know, I, I, if I threw my statistics out there from the research that I've been doing, I think it's, you know, uh, it's not one in six. I believe it's one in four, right? One in four men have experienced or, you know, or two out of uh, three, three, out, maybe three out of six, men have experienced some form of sexual abuse, some sex form of sexual trauma from either a woman or a male. Yeah, I know. I, I think went like the there, but yeah, I think a lot from that to unpack from that is it's the and like um, I was talking about this with one of my um, I was actually talking about this with my partner and I was talking about this with a couple of my buddies. It's the this stuff happens all the time, but because it's so normalized, it's not taken seriously. And one of the things that I've always learned is dangerous, much like a gas leak. Just because you can't really smell it don't mean it's not a gas leak, you know what I'm saying? And I think like the thing, like, especially the, um, I'm gonna pick at this a little bit um, because I think this is very, very important to touch on. It's the normalization to something that is bigoted and abusive. Um, the very fact that like, I don't know how to describe it like uh I, I don't like and, and this is I want to be clear and I hopefully you understand what I'm trying to say 
is we don't want anybody's innocence taken away. It just shouldn't be normalized to in which that like a man, a man or a boy should not have his taken away. And I think like, especially from my own experience, it was like the, the trap I feel like a lot into some degree, the trap that a lot of people fall into is if you are not sexually engaged as a boy, then that means that your manhood is called into question. And that's a, it's a big ask for anybody. And that's even for those like, you know, for, can we be asexual? Can we be a people that just does not, that's not something that feeds, that feeds us. That's a big ask to put on somebody to be accepted, especially as a child. Um, And then you're jacking this child up, this boy up into his manhood. So now you have this grown man that is now carrying around this broken child within him that nobody ever felt the need to like nurture or take care of. So unfortunately what ends up happening is, is that if something that is not addressed as broken, we can't fix it. And I don't know about you, but if something go wrong with my car and the person that told me that they were taking care of my car and they didn't tell me that something is wrong with my car and I'm operating it and trying to operate in this vehicle, I'm, I'm trying to operate in this vehicle, this, this vessel, this temple, like everything is fine. Eventually something that is wrong is going to turn up. And I feel like for a lot of people, especially for myself, um finding out something is wrong after the fact is where the scary thing goes um one thing that i wanted to kind of pick your brain about a little bit and that was you speaking about men not necessarily knowing the i would say like the trauma or abuse that they went through i think you said 25 years after the fact um yes if i'm not mistaken um what what advice would you give to I would just say, like, if we could just speak to men for a second, if we could just speak to men, what advice would you give? Because it's that it's been 25 years and you don't know. That's scary. So what advice would you give to somebody to, I guess, like, not to so much be like, hey, make sure you're not infected. I don't want anybody to feel like that, to stigmatize them and feel like there's anything wrong. But like, how would somebody go about that if they are indeed questioning or concerned or curious that way they can do inventory on themselves to see, is there something within me that's broken? And because I want to be whole and have wholeness, I need to make sure that everything inside here um, and that has impacted this skin. I don't know if you've ever um, read this book, The Body Keeps Score. Oh, I need not- to know about the numbers on the board. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's, I think that's super important. What advice would you give to a man that possibly, or even a young boy, um, that possibly has these questions, what advice would you give them um, at this time? I want, to, I want to take your question. Can I see you? Because I love talking with you, man. Um, I, I, this is what I would, this is where I would start with your first question, number one. Um, I would say I would talk about trauma. And what I mean about that is that we have to understand what trauma does to the boy. Whenever somebody experiences a traumatic life experience, the trauma kind of what it does, it stamps them. It creates a stamp in there. And, uh, you know, and trauma does not just, and especially sexual trauma does not just happen um, to your to your flesh, to your physical body. You are a multidimensional being 
whenever you experience trauma, it impacts your mind, your soul, your body, your spirit. Every every part of you feels it. And one of my favorite books, the body, the body keeps the score. Uh, um, it it talks about that when you experience a traumatic experience, you are that your body remembers, your spirit remembers, your soul remembers that moment, and so your that trauma stamps you, and it dwarfs you. So along with what, and so what I mean, it dwarfs you with when we bring along our social, our social conditioning, when we think of, when we bring up along our social conditioning as boys, boys don't cry, be quiet, shut up. We are, we are innately taught, number one, that what you feel does not matter. That's number one. Number two, we are denied permission to grow and to fully develop as healthy emotional beings. So when we experience the trauma, we're stunted. And when we experience on top of that, the social conditioning, a boy is, begins to get locked up emotionally and is and physically and uh, he, he gets locked up within himself and does not have the freedom and the space to explore the extent of his emotions because it's not acceptable. And for some boys, it, if they do, there's a level of abuse there. So they get hit across the head. They get punched in the chest. They get, you know, I'm sure some brothers understood, you know, they started crying and somebody punched them. Somebody, you know, kicked them. Somebody slapped them. Somebody, you know, called them out of his name. Some, some, you know, derogatory term to, in, in, in an essence to try to get him to man up. And so what happens is the boy at the man, physically continues to grow. The boy continues to grow. He goes to college. He goes to prison. He goes wherever his life takes him. He goes, he becomes successful or he, he, you know, he has all these other, he, or he, he doesn't, he's in these different places and physically he still grows. Now, mind you, while he has grown, the only two emotions that most men and especially men of color are um, given permission to feel and express are anger and them being horny, only two, anger and horny. Why is that? Because anger, people don't know what to do with it, so they can't control it, so he has to, so that's what comes out. But also, I always express um, his hormones and being horny because in that, it doesn't, ser it's not about him, it's about serving somebody else. It's about pleasing somebody else, and especially men of color, we're either seen as angry and dangerous, or sex symbols um and they're over sexualized right and so everybody wants the big black you know or that's this kind of how it is and so we're over sexualized and or we are angry and we are menaces to society because nobody can control us um and so where that leads us either prison or the grave one of the two and so as a man continues to grow as a boy continues to grow he continues to physically develop, only really has explored anger and his hormones. Um, and now when he gets married, now when he wants to have a family, now when he wants to settle down, um, the person that he the mate that he gets with um, often gets the brunt end of that because now they thought that they married a whole man who's a doctor, who's a lawyer, who's a pastor, who's a preacher, who's a politician, or maybe he was incarcerated, maybe whatever. They think they're getting a whole man. But really what they're getting is a man's body, but a little boy who never had the opportunity to grow up. So the reason mm. why 
your marriage. Hold on, so hold on real quick. You can't just speed past that. Say that one more again because that I've never even thought about it like that. Say that one more again. So they don't get a whole man. They get a man. They get a physical man, but a little boy that never got the opportunity to grow up. Never had the freedom to grow up. Never had the never had never had the space to grow up. Um, he the only extent of manhood that he understood was what he could do, how he could perform or how dangerous he could be towards somebody else. So he didn't you wonder why in your relationships, my sisters or my um, the, your, your, your significant other doesn't talk because he wasn't he wasn't taught and given the freedom to talk. You wonder why his express his his feelings are, are 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 locked down because he's even afraid to explore them because he never had the the freedom or the training or the development to express them. So you saying talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, right? And he's not talking because he does not know how to, and he was never given the freedom to. And because he was never given the freedom to, but what he can do for you, he can make you have a good time in the bedroom. Right. Because that's the only thing. And he's defined his self, his value, his existence off of what he can do, how he can perform. Yo, bro, I want to ask you a question real quick. And anybody that's listening, yo, when you meet a new man, when you need a new brother, you say, hey, hey, how you doing? What's your, you know, what's your name? And what is the next question they ask you or what is the next question you ask them? Typically is what do you do? Why is that? We ask what we do because innately society has taught us to define our value by what we have or what we do not by who we innately are mm. and this is hence the problem with most men they have defined themselves by definite they define themselves by what they do and what they have so why is it that this boy who was traumatized never dealt with it but he still gets the bigger car. He still gets the J's. He goes, gets the Louis. He got the gold teeth. He got all the stuff because, because if he does not have innate value, then he will get things that he, that are status symbols that will bring, that he thinks will bring him value in the eyesight of everyone else. But what really happens inside, because he doesn't know who he is and doesn't know his true value, he'll continue to get houses he'll, or he'll continue to get stuff that officially, that initially will depreciate in value because he doesn't know his true value. The reason why this meant your, the brothers can go and have sex is and not feel anything. It's not just because he don't love you because he's trying to find out who he is. And the only way that he can have worth, and let me tell you, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm a straight shooter. The thing is, when you have brothers who don't know who they are, they will sleep with you. They will make you feel like you are the best thing um, since sliced bread until they get what they want and then they lose interest. Why? Because th they get pleasure and they get they feel valuable when they're able to chase something, get it and get and, and do well. And they'll 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 knock your brains out. After it's over, after the thrill is over, after the, the, the seek is over, and now they come back to themselves, they now have to contend with them. And so what they need to do then to feel that high again, they need to go find another body. They need to find another body because that, value, that body adds value. It makes them the only thing that I'm good at is having sex. And so that's some brothers like, yo, the only thing that I, they feel like they're good at 
is having sex. And so they continue to have partner after partner after partner after partner after partner, not because they want to. And this is the crazy part about trauma. They genuinely cannot want it. But because this is the only means of significance and only means of worth that they feel like they have, they will do it for the feeling and feel horrible inside. Will feel dead inside, will feel desolate inside, not even into it. They just doing it because they don't love themselves and they never they don't feel valued. They don't know that they're valued. They don't know their worth. And so my my, my sister, the reason why he can't treat you right and the reason why he can't love you, because he don't know how to love himself yet. Um, the reason why he can't be faithful to you is not because he don't love you. It's because he hasn't learned how to love himself yet. And no person can love themselves fully without no person can love somebody else without first learning number one to love God, love themselves and then love somebody else. Right. You can't you, you can't do it well. Um, and it creates a cycle. It creates this hor horrible cycle. And it's not until um, oftentimes it's too late that men um, finally say they need to get the help that they need to get when. There's a line of bodies that they've hurt. There's a line of people that, you know, or a line of kids and a line of responsibilities. And by that time, you know, they realize like, yo, I'm not OK. And so by that time, they have to worry about all the stuff that, you know, all the people, all the babies they created, all the mess they've created, or they're locked up in jail somewhere or they're in the grave. And so they never get the opportunity to really fully be who they are because they were cheated out of that experience. And this is why I do the work that I do. Because I help men, uh, I help men, um, uh, and I, I like to say I like to empower men and give them back the power, their power to choose who they desire to be. Most men's definition of what it means to be a man was given to them by somebody who was not either a man or was not a healthy man themselves. And so they live into these toxic definitions of what it means to be who they are. And the thing is, bro. What happens if you define yourself by what you have and what you do? What happens when you no longer have that thing? What happens when you no longer? And um, we we know that, and not even that. What happens when you have that thing? But that if we've seen this in the, with the Book of Ecclesiastes, like when you have all the degrees and you have all the cars and you have all the concubines and you have all these conquests, what happens when you have all these things? You still have them. They're not going anywhere but they no longer give you that same that same feeling that that gave you a sense of belongingness the sense of happiness what happens when that subsides right a sense of worth because eventually mm -hmm. if you the thing is like yo you talk to some older you, you know what kind of let me throw this 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 the statistic out here or this number out there most of the men that i actually deal with are not young men there are men in their 40s 50 well 40s 50s and 60s who wind up coming to me saying, listen, I've never said about, I've never talked about this, but I have to deal with it now because there is something, and I don't know how, how fresh I could be or how much of myself I can show up into the spaces. Like, yo, the truth is as a man, your body starts to change and you go through midlife crises and your strength is not what it used to be. And your man parts don't work like they used to, you know, you could use to go two, three rounds, you know, and now you'd be glad if you can get one right as you get older. 
And a lot of these men start coming to me at that age because what they've defined their worth by physical strength and what they can do and how they can perform, they no longer have that strength. They no longer have that stamina. They no longer have that drive. Their libido is down, right? And so now they have to find out who I am and they are forced to deal with the stuff that they have folded up in their subconscious mind. And because and that's because that's what we as men do when stuff happens to us, especially traumatic experiences that don't make logical sense. We fold it up, put it in our subconscious mind and we then say, OK, I'll deal with it later. And it's like a funky potato, a rotten potato in our subconscious mind that impacts our relationships, impacts how we see the world and how we interact and how we show up in the world. But we think because nobody sees it, nobody knows it, then we're good until we have to deal with it. So something that it was funny, my, um, my pastor just, uh, he did, he gave this service, um, shout out to pastor Steven at a union church. He did this, uh, sermon on catalyst. It's like, uh, we call it our night of miracles. It's basically like, um, you want to call it like revival revival never ends. I feel like if a revival ends and you're not really within proximity personally, I don't know. That's just me. That's my last bit of shade I'm throwing out this evening. Um, but one of the things that he said was how you see you impacts. He said that how you see you actually matters more than how God sees you because like, it doesn't matter how much it's just like with anything. Like if you're trying to affirm somebody, it don't matter how many compliments you give somebody. It don't matter how much money you give them. It doesn't matter how much access and privilege. Um, and us as men, we live in a man's world that we built. You know what I'm saying? doesn't matter all this access that we have. How we view ourselves, if we view ourselves as I'm only good if I'm a good person, but I can only be successful and it's like it's all these limitations and this these boxes that box itself in, box ourselves in, it is indeed suffocating. And especially like if we want to like go back to like us as a people, um, us being men of color for a second, like our dignity being ripped from us on the plantation in bondage where we have to literally perform and then think that this stuff does not trickle down um, even to now um, everyday life to this day, where it's just like, it's called transgenerational trauma. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And then not even that, but it's just like, bro, we're trying like, it's, it's nutty. I had a conversation with somebody, even like the idea that a man has to play sports or a boy has to play sports. Go entertain us, go get this bag, go and get, go and put yourself in a predicament where you could literally ruin your body. Um, you could ruin your head. Um, because we need to make it out this, we got to make it out this, um, look, you, look, you see what that contract they just gave, um, so-and-so, uh, Patrick Mahomes just got a $500 um, million contract. We need that money. You see what they doing? What are you doing that they not doing? And right. it's that. And it's that it's that it's that I need to be able to take care of everybody at the same time. I think it's an Andy Minio bar that said this. He said you would set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. I don't think a lot of people realize that the burn marks are ruining us since like 1619 to like to this day, even as black men. And it's scary. And we wonder why. We wonder why, because we haven't done anything differently, that we haven't gotten a different result. It is indeed scary. Like it, it sounded weird. Like I, I, I think I told you. Like 
you know, with expecting, like if I have a child, I'm going to be literally terrified if I have a son. And a lot of that is because I remember them conversations growing up where, oh man, he going to be a lady killer. He going to get this, this, that, and third. He going to do, and it's just like, or my son can be a boy or my son could be a child. Cause he is a child. You know what I'm saying? That is scary. And you know, I just want to be able to, even now when I'm doing the work, when I'm talking to other people and just get people to recognize like that is not, it is not as heaven as people think it is. You know what I'm saying? It really, having all this access and privilege, yes, I understand that we have an upper hand, but there's an upper hand above our upper hand and it's killing us in the process. Um, what would you say to people that I would say they're quicker, I guess when it comes to men, what would you say to people that they're quick to like shut their ears off the minute we start talking about, you know, we go through this, we go through that, why is it quicker or it seems like how dare we even have pain given our privilege? Um, why, what would you say to those people that, you know, they're willing to like, you know, even if you're, whether you're straight, um, cisgendered or just not even a man in general, what would you say to those people that look at, if you would look, look at us and say that, you know, we're the oppressors in this society what would you say to those people in regards of, hey, can we humanize our fellow um, human beings regardless of their place in this social construct? What would you say to those people? Um, I would say that, and this question crazy, I've never been asked that question. And I typically stay away from questions like this because I don't want to uh, get in trouble with people. But um, I say this, I'm a big proponent of diversity and equity. Um, and um, one of the things that I have, I have a certification in um, conflict transformation. And one thing I, we, we learned in those classes years ago, almost 10 years ago um, in undergrad was that stuck with me that you may be able to debate people's opinions, but you cannot question or debate their feelings and their experience mm, hold on say that say that one more again because somebody somebody this is going to be on spotify tomorrow if somebody's going to hear this tomorrow they're going to be in their car they might drive through the, the the tunnel or something like that every excuse to why they couldn't hear that can you repeat that one more again for the good people in the back please i often teach that you cannot you can you can argue people's opinions, but you cannot argue and question people's experience and their feelings. We have to beyond whether I agree with your opinion. At the basic human level, I cannot dictate your interpretation or of your experience or how it made you feel. So even with me, I don't judge people's feelings and their experience because their feelings are real. That's what they felt. That's what they, that, and whatever their interpretation of that is, right? That's what I, I begin to address. So, and that's for any person, right? That's for any person. I don't argue with, and, and I hope people have the same respect for me and humanity. 
And this is one of the reasons why I even started this project, because one thing that I wanted to do was we wanted to humanize the lived experiences of male survivors of sexual trauma. Because we are have not been seen as human. And I, I posted this earlier today, and I'll say this too, that and especially for Christians, believers and I haven't really said anything publicly about Roe versus Wade and all the stuff that's going on um, with that either. Um, but at a basic level, what I, what I was thinking and exercising this morning, I believe that a lot of Christians have a have an issue or problem with. I believe I believe that many of many people of faith have issues with humanness. because many of our doctrinal beliefs and theological uh, frameworks teach us to innately hate our own humanity. The same humanity that God says is wonderfully and fearfully made. Say that. The same humanity that he also redeemed the same humanity that he came down, wrapped himself in flesh to redeem us back to the father. In the Bible, he says, and I say this also, the Bible says we live in this world, but we're not of this world. And I think as Christians, we understand that we're not of this world, but struggle with still having to live in it as humans and oftentimes we don't like other people and we don't like humanity or humanness because our unhealthy theological frameworks of what it means to be human is dogmatic and is laced with self-condemnation and self-hatred would you go as far to say that we're almost too godly that we've escaped our human side to some degree? No, I think I'll, I'll speak for me. Growing up Pentecostal apostolic, we were taught, and this is the Bible, right? That no good thing dwells in this flesh, right? Like no good thing. And I get it right. But this flesh that I am in is what I've been given. And there's a theological framework um, that talks about, um, I think it was called Apollo Panarianism. I can't remember. Um, but it talked about that God cannot heal what he cannot like like God. I, I think the theological framework said God cannot heal what he God cannot heal what hasn't been redeemed or something like that. Um, God cannot heal what hasn't been revealed or something like that. Basically, the it was it was uh, put as heresy um, in you know the early church because they essentially they were trying to argue the deity of Jesus. They weren't arguing the deity of Jesus. They were arguing the humanity of Jesus. Essentially, this theological framework 
that was um, that is heresy um, essentially said that we believe God was fully divine, but we question if he was fully human. Or God cannot heal what he cannot identify with, something like that. Essentially mm. saying that if God is fully, if God is fully divine, he could not be fully human. Essentially saying, because if he could not identify, because the Bible says that there is no temptation unto man that God has not revealed, that God has not experienced. So that Jesus had not experienced. It. And so if he not experienced it, he can't identify with it. And if he can't identify it, he can't, re- he can't redeem it. So essentially they were trying to say initially that God, was, that Jesus was a essential divine ghost in a body that had no connection to the body. And so therefore was not tempted, was not, did not feel pain, was basically this divine deity, like a ghost inhabiting a body. Which means that he was fully divine, but he wasn't fully man, which means he cannot redeem. I think that's what it was. God can. Yeah. He so which question like if God could really redeem if God if Jesus really redeemed all of our humanness, realizing that that, you know, that was heresy. But one of the things that I love about God is that we see that he wraps himself in flesh and he comes to dwell among us. Right. That's the part. He's the incarnate God. He's not he's not like Bula. He's not like Alan. I mean, no disrespect to anybody. He's not like the other guys like right. That says you need to get this to this place of enlightenment. You need to get to this place of revelation. You need to get to this place of insight. You need to achieve this level of such and such in order um, to get to me or to get to this spiritual enlightenment. Now, he says, no matter how good you are, you could never be good enough. So like a loving father, I'm not going to necessarily make you come to me. I'm going to come to you. He comes to us in the fullness of humanity, in the fullness of humanness. And I believe that many of us, and especially believers, and those who grew up in church, who have titles, oftentimes, we can become so detached from what it means to be human to the point where we are not aware of the fractures in our own humanness, in our own humanity. That's, um, it's attending to make sure that you are, mm, it's, it's, it's making sure in attending to make sure that you are spiritually equipped, but you are leaving yourself unprepared, even in your flesh, because you made sure you had the armor, made sure you had the sword, you had everything else, but the body that's holding the armor up ain't good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the people that the, Go ahead. The Go people ahead. around you, the people around you, they not good under their armor too. But you can hold a sword up, even right. though you got the you got the shakes. You got you, know you got some but you know what kills us? I just posted something about men. The Bible says that our bodies are the temple. You know what kills men? What's the leading cause of death in men right now? Heart disease. We don't die. like the things that we die from is because we don't take care and because of self-hatred and self-condemnation, we see no value in this flesh. We don't take care of it. 
when really we're a steward over it as well. So we eat, we get overweight, and I know this is way off of topic, but we live unhealthy lives, physical unhealthy lives. We preach, we we prophesy, we go to church, but then we go eat everything and indulge in everything else, consume everything else, killing our humanness or our humanity, our flesh. Anyway, yeah. Not, no, 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 that's real. And, it, and I think it's because I think to some degree, like being able to just be at rest. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of this um this woman. Her name is uh Joe Lumen. Uh she's this uh Colum- she's this Colombian like decolonizing theologian. One of the things that we spoke on that rest is actually resistance. And resistance is liberating and what liberation looks like. When you said that, I thought to myself, us as like just as people, specifically men, like we're rest can look like a lot of things. Sit down for a second. Like, can you sit your behind down for my for a second? Um, yeah, I got you, brother. I got I got you in a second. Um, can you sit your behind down for a second? Can you sit down and allow the doctor to check you up? Can you get your blood pressure checked out? Um, I myself, I didn't tell you this before. Um, I had a heart attack, a heart attack at 22 years old. You know what I'm saying? Like 22 years old. I was running and gunning. I was moving 90 miles an hour, working 90 hours a week. When you said that 17 hour workday, boy, I said, I feel that. I, that was me at some point. That's not healthy and that's not normal. And that's God wants us to rest. And I think a lot of things can go wrong when we don't allow ourselves to be free and liberate ourselves from ourselves. And have that rest. You know what I'm saying? Good, man. I agree. We have to rest. It's as important. It's more important than work. You know what? I just, uh, I got to say this and I got to get to my babies, but I recently over a hundred pounds. And one of the things that I did when I, one of the first things that my doctors asked me when I started my weight loss journey, they didn't ask me how much I exercise. They didn't ask me what I was eating. They asked me, what are your sleep? What is your sleep like? They asked me what was my what were my sleep patterns and they put me on a sleep app. They gave me a sleep apnea test because they said to me. You are only going to be as good as your ability to rest. Because if you are not sleeping, you will not have the energy to live. Hmm. Yeah, so we got to rest. That's real. Um, I know you got to go. Um, and I just, I, I got, I would, I could talk to you all day, brother. Personally, I'm about to get you my number when we, before we get out of here, but that's fine. Um, one of the things that I want to ask, you know, kind of going back to, um, my previous question, but I think like, before we go, I think that this is definitely necessary. Um, so to answer your one question you had before you said, you know, what, what advice would you give somebody? you know, especially like a man or even just a victim in general. Um, but specifically while we're talking about the importance of men feeling like they are hurt in this situation, what advice would you give that young man once they find out this trauma to be real and this abuse, this violence that was afflicted on them? What advice would you give them as far as next steps? Number one, I want you to realize it's not your fault. That's number one. Um, it's not your fault. Oftentimes men carry the weight and the guilt of their experiences. 
um, and they and it impacts them physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And it shows up in how they show up. It shows up through them and how they live and how they show them show up in the world and how and it shows up in their relationships. Number one, it's not your fault. I'm gonna take a big jump too. You need to go get some help. Um, find a, 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 a you, and I tell people, everybody, you can go to psychology.com. It's one of my greatest resources. Psychology.com. You can go there, find your therapist for little to nothing who can begin to help you process and heal and deal with um, what you've been dealing with. Number three, you have to begin your journey um, to wholeness. I say this all the time and it's in the book Echoes. Healing is the journey, but wholeness is the destination. We're all striving to get to a place called wholeness, but healing happens one step, one moment at a time. Healing is not going to happen. Wholeness is not going to happen in one thing, in one blip. Like it's it's a journey. Um, and on that journey, I think the next phase, the next, the fourth and final thing I would tell you right now for the sake of the conversation, there's more that you can get in the book, is I would tell you, you have to begin to accept apologies that you will never get. The truth is unforgiveness, Tyler Perry said, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Your abusers may not remember you. They may not even remember the abuse. They may not even care. But you have to begin your journey to wholeness. And a part of that is forgiving people for, the, for your sake, forgiving people and accepting apologies that you'll never get because many of those people don't have the capacity to give an apology to you. Because I've learned that oftentimes hurt people hurt people. And those are people oftentimes who have hurt us, who people who've been hurt themselves. That's real. Yeah. I wrote a whole, it's a whole book about it. So I want y'all to go out and get Echoes. Um, you can get Echoes on Amazon. It's Echoes. Um, it's pretty dramatic cover. I don't know if y'all can see it, but. Um, your, green all, screen got, your green screen got us a little uh, jack, yeah. but I'll put it, it's Thank in you. the description of the video and I'll even plug it in the comment section for those that are here live with us. Um, brother, brother Robert, man. Um, thank you, brother. This definitely will not be the last time we have a conversation, whether publicly or privately. Um, once again, thank you for accepting my invitation. Um, and also thank you for everybody that's either you just tuning in or you're going to catch this on later. I know this was a heavy and serious, very weighty conversation. I want you to use that same gravity to think like, imagine talking about it is heavy. Imagine carrying around this burden of what this experience, this trauma, this this almost like this skin size it's a it's a skin size burden you have to carry around you know just carry that sense of sensitivity um and urgency when you know you have somebody before you that brings the story before you brother robert thank you for sharing the space with me man this oh, man. was an honor for having me of course of course and thank you everybody for tuning in tonight always remember you are beautiful blessed and beloved Raisins still don't go on potato salad. I know I've been on my hiatus, but raisins seriously still don't go on potato salad. Um, and Jesus was not white. So do me a favor and have a good night.